Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 216. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is a man who once appeared on The Tonight Show playing the ukulele while balancing a hat on his nose, Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. That was a fun time. (laughs) We'll have to hear more about it. Uh, Anyway, today we have a few interesting beauty questions to cover, including how do bond builders work? Is sodium cocosulfate more gentle than SLS? And does men's antiperspirant work better than women's. And of course, we're going to cover some beauty science news too. But first, how are you holding up? You know, I'm doing all right. You remember how last last show I mentioned I was reading Gone with the Wind? Mm-hmm. Well, I finished the book. Oh, wow. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. And it was fabulous, although an unexpected ending, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, no spoiler alerts. No, no spoilers. And how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, holding up okay, getting used to just how things are going. Uh, you know, work is extra busy, I think, because uh, everyone's working from home. So yeah. that makes it a little challenging versus if I'm just working from home. So it's a lot of emails, a lot of video meetings. A lot I, of uh, video meetings, huh? Yeah, it's interesting. I have a lot of coworkers who I'd say go the full mile in getting ready and, and <laughs> you know, kind of looking put together. And then I, I pretty much... <laughs> Look like me, well, except mean, sometimes I'm in my pajamas still. You, you look good now. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, yeah, so it's it's been interesting. Well, I haven't had much effect except my wife's home all the time, and so she's <laughs> it's it's a little different when I'm home alone by myself. The working goes, and uh, now with her here all the time, I you know I can't play the ukulele in the middle of the day. <laughs> Yeah, everyone has different work styles. I have to work in complete silence. Uh, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist has to work with lots of noise. It's just, it's a lot to get used to, but we're managing. Uh, Does your wife do a lot of video meetings? Yeah, their whole thing is just video. She's like, she's on video meetings like the entire time. Yeah, me too. Which does make me wonder, is there like uh, beauty tips for doing these video meetings? Well, actually, yeah, um, there are lots of tips to make sure that you, um, not just like that you, you look nice. I mean, how you look is how you look, but I think lighting is really essential. I make sure that I am well lit from the front, so I have a lot of natural light in my face. It fills in all the shadows and makes me feel comfortable on camera. Well, I have to say, uh, my family has been doing this uh, this Marco Polo thing. Essentially, it's like video texting. And one of the things that I've realized is that you got to keep the camera above your eye level, not below. Yeah, exactly. Below doesn't look as good. <laughs> I did a video call today where they asked me to do something, and I was like, oh, when do you need to buy? Because they wanted me to be on camera for some explaining something. And I had the phone, I was on phone for this particular video meeting and it was like pointing up at my chin and I had like a quadruple (laughs) chin. It was awful. I was like, I need to lose some weight. Dang. (laughs) No, you lose weight. Just lift the phone over your head. Then you (laughs) lost the weight. (laughs) It's like a free facelift. Exactly. Just one more thing before we get into the uh, news stories. 
Uh, remember we mentioned the Dream podcast? You had mentioned that last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. Have you? I did. I listened to it. It was uh, it was just what I was looking for, you know, explaining how the <laughs> food supplement industry really is not regulated. Did you learn anything new or was it really just like preaching to the choir? It was a bit of preaching to the choir, but I did get some, you know, I had these notions about what was true, but they had an interview with both the FDA guy and they had an interview with the, uh, the head of the industry organization. And it was interesting to get both of their different uh, perspectives on the regulations of the industry because, of course, the industry guy was under the opinion that it was it was really well regulated, mm-hmm. while the FDA guy was under the impression that, uh, yeah, it's not regulated at all. So. Yeah, seems they're not aligned. Oh, boy. Yeah. So that's worth a listen if you get a chance. Uh, it was the Dream Podcast Season 2. Well, I am just about caught up on this podcast will kill you. I had some new episodes to listen to one of my favorite podcasts. I've mentioned it before, uh, but I will give it a listen next week. Alrighty. Well, what'd you see in the news this week? We promised, you know, we've talked COVID every episode. We did our best this week to find some non COVID news. And we found a couple of non COVID news This time, it's all about CBD. Oh, the most second annoying topic. (laughs) Well, in this story that I saw, Avon is launching a new CBD skincare line. According to their manager uh, of future innovations, Sandra Cosma, they believe that CBD is an emerging ingredient that can provide superior benefits. Now, what those benefits are, she doesn't really say, but they are superior, whatever they are. I really like her name. I think Cosma reminds me of Cosmic, and it I think it really fits in with her title, Future Innovation. That's nice. I wonder if it's a real name or a pseudo name. Yeah, well, it's cool either way. You know, once at a... a at Alberto Culver, they brought in some consultant to tell us about innovation, and she called herself a futurologist. <laughs> That's funny. And I was saying, how do you become a futurologist? So, so what I did is I updated my LinkedIn profile, and I just declared myself a futurologist. Oh, that's great. I once worked with a company that had a glitterologist on staff. Not kidding. Anyway, but what did, what did Sandra say about their new stuff? Well, she also said that CBD is a hot trend, and they've been looking at it for a long time because it is a powerhouse. Mm. You know, powerhouse is just one of those vague words that sort of sounds like they're saying something, but they really aren't saying anything at all. Like, hey, it's a powerhouse. Yeah, but I also like that she had to point out that CBD is a hot trend. It's like, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want to be mean. I'll, oh, I'll stop yeah. now. Yeah. Well, the new line contains a cleanser, a day cream, and a hand and body balm. And they also are slated to launch a CBD oil product. Well, that's nice. She also said they aren't going to include any of those unnecessary ingredients, which (laughs) I think is funny because I find CBD to be the unnecessary ingredient. However, it does make me wonder, like, Avon is putting out products with unnecessary ingredients? Or, like, who's, who's who's putting out products without unnecessary ingredients? Like, no cosmetic chemist is like, what unnecessary things can I add in here? Like, that's never a thought process when you're on the bench. Exactly. Well, it does come into play because when you're marketing, people say, oh, I want you to include this extract. The, the chemist knows that this is really an unnecessary ingredient, but you have to add it for the marketing reasons. 
Well, I guess that's true, but I don't add anything that's not at active levels with claim studies. So what does Avon think that CBD is going to be doing in their product? Well, they say it helps to boost the heat shock proteins, which is the body's natural de-stressing protein. It protects the skin from stress. Now, no word on how that happens or exactly what stress they're talking about, but this product will be fighting that. You know, it's stories like these that make me wonder, why does Avon continue to sell their other products, right? I mean, if this product is such a new wonder, wouldn't they just switch all their other products out to this technology? That's a good point, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they haven't done that, so it kind of says something about the marketing story, you know? Well, that sure says something, certainly. I also had a CBD news story this week. Oh, really? Everybody's CBD. <laughs> yeah. R&Co just launched a CBD shampoo and conditioner duo huh. designed to soothe your scalp. The shampoo gives you a gentle but thorough cleanse while the conditioner works to detangle and add lightweight moisture to your hair. Now, just a second. This is a shampoo that cleans your hair and a conditioner that conditions your hair? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, they didn't say it was innovative, but uh, they do have some other pretty edgy claims that they make. At least they're edgy to me. I think they really kind of push the boundaries of what brands should be saying their shampoos and conditioners do. Really? Yeah. For example, they claim their hemp-based CBD, which I'm very glad they noted it was hemp-based because that is compliant. They claim their CBD has regenerative... I cannot say that word. Rege- regenerative. Regener. Can you Rege- say it? I think it's regenerative. I literally copy pasted this from their website. Regenerative. That's they, they say regenerative, but I think it's just regenerative. Okay, so well, clearly, it has regenerative or regenerative. <laughs> I copy and pasted this from their there website. Regenerative benefits for hair and scalp. And helps to soothe and calm irritation on scalp. Hmm. Sounds a little borderline drug claim. Well, soothe and calm. Like calm irritation is different than actually uh, cure irritation or stop irritation, right? Calm is like, you know. (laughs) Mm, I I think it's a little close. They also say their products have coconut oil, which is a natural hair growth stimulant. Okay, that's that's a little over the line And. Coconut oil contains antibacterial properties. I, uh, little, little, yeah. I mean, if I guess if you took bacteria and you dunked it in coconut oil, it's not going to grow. Because there's no water. <laughs> right. <laughs> not because it has antibacterial properties. You need water for bacteria to grow. Yeah. Coconut oil does not have antibacterial properties. Oh, anyway, my. the cost for the set is $72. Or <laughs> what? per bottle. By the way, each bottle is six ounces, which is incredibly small for a shampoo and conditioner. I think eight ounces is even small for a shampoo and a conditioner. I I just tried the drunk elephant shampoo and conditioner. Yeah. We'll go into that here, but that's eight ounces, which I think is a little small. But so for six ounces, uh, you'll pay $36. (laughs) And the one thing that, again, they're selling a CBD product, so it should command a higher price point, but The one thing that they don't do is they don't disclose the CBD content in the product. Typically, when you have a brand selling a CBD-based product, they will disclose how many milligrams of CBD are present so that you can kind of know what you're paying for and what dose you're getting. 
Arnco simply just says it's CBD infused. And I just think if you are making such powerful claims about CBD, the whole line is based on CBD and you're charging that kind of price. I think consumers deserve to know how much CBD you're getting. I mean, when you just say CBD infused, is that like you have a swimming pool full of water and you just threw one of those little Kool-Aid packets in because that would be that would count yeah right (laughs) so I mean like how much CBD is in there I just I don't like that lack of transparency especially when they're charging that price tag and and making those claims so infuse is definitely uh, a that's code it's code for like we didn't really put much in there (laughs) right I mean honestly I mean yeah so anyway I I do like R&Co I really like their fragrances I do like many of their products especially um, some of their shampoos and conditioners I love. They actually discontinued uh, one set that that I really, really enjoyed. But um disappointed in this launch, but I'm still going to buy it and try it. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, you are in the business and you should keep up on the shampoo technology. I doubt at $72 for uh, two six-ounce products that you're going to become a regular customer. Yeah, and I'm actually going to calculate. I'm actually going to weigh out how much I use for my hair. And let you know the the other issue I have with this, by the way, is when you shampoo your hair, uh, you get a lot of product on your scalp if you're really getting in there and scrubbing. Conditioner is used mid shaft to ends, and they actually put the directions on their website is to use both products mid shaft to ends. So you're not even getting any on your scalp, and these products are being rinsed off. So how much CBD is actually coming into contact with your skin and penetrating and and giving you all those benefits. That's the other issue I have with this, by the way. Let's be realistic. An oil delivered from a shampoo just gets rinsed down the drain. So putting oils in shampoos to me is one of the dumbest things that I can think of. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Well, we do have some listener mail that we should read on the show. It is COVID related. Very sorry to everyone. We lied. This one came to us from Kelly S. She says, hey, Perry, You were just ahead of the rest of us. Now they tell us not to touch our faces, but we still need to use sunscreen, which leaves one obvious solution. Spray that sunscreen right into your face. (laughs) (laughs) No. I do recommend closing your eyes and holding your breath while spraying. (laughs) And then she wondered whether she was in trouble with Valerie now. (laughs) Well, not during this emergency period, but afterwards, yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably... (laughs) Well, there you go. uh, I thought I was doing something wrong, and I was just ahead of the curve. Wow. Well, thanks for those those comments, Kelly. And uh, if you have a comment or a question, feel free to just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. Kelly, thanks so much for that. We really appreciate uh, the humor and just the good ideas and keeping things light during this time. Yay. Right. Uh, beauty questions. Our first one is an audio question. Hi, beauty brains. This is Sarah. I am a stylist at a high-end salon. We used to carry System Professional and we still carry their liquid hair treatment. This treatment goes on the hair and is blow dried into the hair and then rinsed out for 20 seconds and then the hair can be prepared as normal. It's supposed to go in and actually replace lipids in between the protein links in the hair. I was curious if you guys thought this actually worked and if it has an advantage for my clients. I was also curious about Olaplex or Wellaplex. 
And if you feel like they actually help with the bond structure in the hair as well during the lifting process, I really do value honesty in my products and I don't want to be a pushy stylist that is misdelivering product to my guest. I want to give them real value. Thank you very much. Great question. And we actually, when we did our Instagram live last week, which I'm very sorry, I was not able to save the video. I did post it on Instagram for 24 hours afterwards, but uh, we did get some bond builder questions for that live. We didn't get to cover them on there, but we did get somebody asking about malic acid, which is used in bond builder products. So great question and great time to kind of bring all of that stuff together. And we've gotten people asking about Olaplex a few times in the past. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So just so y'all know, um, I I work in the hair industry. I am very involved in hair science. And not only do I, I make hair care products for a living, but I'm actually a hair color chemist. So I'm very familiar with hair color, bond builders, chemistry of the hair. Uh, I had to learn it from someone else. I have a mentor. So... Uh, Wait, just just one second there. You said, all right, y'all. Is that your Southern coming out? <laughs> that, that's my my Southern coming out. I, oh, I lived in West Virginia for a while. So oh, anyway, right. <laughs> um, no, but just to know, um, there's a lot of misinformation about bond builders on the internet. And I'm hoping that we can clarify this and get it all straight uh, with this question. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it because this yeah. is not an area that I specialize in either. So, which is one of the reasons I've... I've held off on commenting about Olaplex, I mean, uh, or other systems like this. There's a, a hair science thread on Reddit that I follow, and, you know, there's questions there, and everybody there seems to just love these kinds of things and think they have revolutionized hair care. I kind of don't see it. Yeah. Well, let's first talk about good old Wella System Professional. All right. Uh, very familiar with this product, and yes, the product does work. It just doesn't work in the way that it says it does. The liquid professional treatment is a fantastic conditioning treatment for the hair. We can list the full ingredient listing on the show website. But if we look at the functional ingredients ingredients that are actually doing the work, it's really just a handful of conditioning agents, amino acids, and maybe some keratin that are actually doing the work on the hair. So behind trimonium chloride, I see citrimonium chloride, amodimethicone. Yeah, those are pretty much uh, conditioner ingredients. Yeah, we also have quaternium 80, which is one of my favorite quats. I think it leaves a really uh, soft powdery feel on the hair. One of my favorites. I used to use that in the, the Tresemme conditioner. Yeah, it's it's great. It's actually like a secret silicone. Uh, sure. Most people don't know that. You can't know that looking at the inky listing, but uh, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. There's also histidine, alanine, and hydrolyzed keratin that may be doing some of the work, but but I don't know. Yeah. I didn't see in their education literature, at least that I could find on the, the internet, that the product places lipids in between the protein links in the hair. But I work for a professional brand myself, and sometimes I know that education in the salons or people just talking about the product, sometimes the information can get a little out of control, like the game of telephone. And it's like, no, that they didn't really say that anywhere. Happens to me all the time. Uh, but on the website, their own website, they do claim their product is a molecular hair refilling treatment that reconstructs the hair fiber. Huh. Which That's quite a trick. <laughs> 
I, th- I think it's a little strong, but when we use the word reconstruct in the claims world, um, that doesn't mean physically rebuilding the hair fiber. That could be hair strength and how do you measure hair strength. And so there's ways to kind of get to this fluffy marketing language. But I would guess that if the product really is working and they can prove that the hydrolyzed keratin, histidine, and alanine, which they claim is doing the work, if they can prove that it's doing something, you know, they can go ahead and say that. But I think the real perception benefit where you touch and feel the hair and say, wow, probably comes from those main conditioning agents and silicones that are present. You know, they they talk about the reconstruction in Gone with the Wind. I don't remember that. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they meant, they meant hair fiber reconstruction, <laughs> oh, but maybe was, they I did. I don't know. It's a different thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I do know about Wella is that they're very thorough in their claims testing and product testing. So there probably is a benefit to using this product, but I just don't know if it's physically rebuilding the hair. They used to be owned by uh, Procter & Gamble, didn't they? Uh, well, Wella was privately owned, but publicly, it was owned by a family in Germany, uh, publicly yeah. traded um, on a stock exchange. And then Procter & Gamble purchased it, and yes. then Cody purchased it. Right, they P&G sold it to Cody, so Cody has it now. But uh, And Cody's trying to offload it, so we'll see what happens to Wella, but great company. What that does say is that it's been connected with these large companies. I would have more faith in the support that they have for the claims that they're making. Yeah, and my mentor actually used to work at Wella, so I, I have a lot of insight, but they're a very reputable, rigid company okay. when it comes to this stuff, for sure. Yeah. So if physically rebuilding the hair or, or building new bonds in the hair is not possible, what the heck are all these Plex products doing on the market? I mean, we have this whole industry of bond building products, and if bonds physically can't be rebuilt in hair from an additive that you throw in your color, what's happening? It's a very good question. Well, I might have an answer. Well, just before you get into that, I always had the impression that in the hair fibers are these uh, cysteine amino acids, and on a cysteine are sulfurs. And one of the things that gives hair strength is two sulfur atoms in, in the hair fibers will connect to make a disulfide bond. And some of these bond builders use that disulfide reaction to create bonds in the hair. So isn't that creating bonds? Well, in in theory, but the disulfide bond is a covalent bond, and that is, it's literally impossible to fully restore it to being a disulfide bond. There's a lot of other bonding going on in the hair, hydrogen bonding, electrostatic bonding, and really that's where I think these Plex-type products are playing, Ah. Uh, but they're not rebuilding covalent bonds back into the hair. Uh So let's talk about the first famous bond builder on the market, Olaplex. We get the Olaplex question a lot. And I've seen things on the internet about A, how the company is claiming their product works. They have a patent, which in the hair communities, you know, there's a little surprise that the patent was awarded given the information they detail, I think is you know, they claim they have this bismal amido compound and the way the way they're claiming it works is not how bismal amido compounds work. So I was a little surprised that they could make those claims for bond building. Well, just a tip to consumers out there. Getting a patent for something isn't, it's not like real science. Uh, you can dress it up and, and 
you can get a patent for something that doesn't necessarily hold up to peer-reviewed science, but as long as it makes sense and the person who's granting the patent doesn't really have a good background in the technology, uh, they might just grant it to you. That doesn't necessarily mean that the science that's presented in a patent is actually peer-reviewed true science. Uh, so always look at the, the science described in patents very skeptically. It may or may not be accurate. Yeah, and no company is really going to lay down everything that they're doing right. or disclose everything, really, because they don't want to give their competitors an edge. So anyway, in this patent, uh, they claim that bismalamido compounds reconstruct the disulfide bonds in the hair. And I, I just, I don't think that's happening. That's that's very hard to do. The bismalamido compound is very large. And in fact, it's preferential to bind with nitrogen compounds, not sulfur compounds at the pH that bleach systems work in. Um, but I, I digress. I do think it's doing something. I just don't think it's doing what they're saying it's doing. After Olaplex, a whole bunch of other Plex products came out on the market, including uh, L'Oreal has a, a bond builder type product using malleic acid. And Wella also has a bond builder using uh, malleic acid called Wellaplex. And why are both of them using malleic acid? Well, I, th I think that's kind of what Olaplex has going on right there. In fact, Olaplex sued L'Oreal for uh, stealing some technology from them, and L'Oreal was found at fault. We've talked about it a couple times on the show. But anyway, what the malleic acid is doing is it's displacing water from the hair. It's affecting the hair adsorption isotherm. And when you can displace this water, you can change the perceptive strength of the hair fiber. And I think that's done by manipulating this hydrogen bonding and electrostatic bonding going on in the hair. So it is affecting bonding in some way. It's just not rebuilding disulfide bonds. And none of the Plex products do. In fact, a lot of the Plex products rely on film formers or other similar chemistries that don't actually go into the hair fiber, but they form a protective film on the hair fiber that give it strength. So it really depends what Plex product we're talking about. Are any of them rebuilding disulfide bonds? No. Are some of them improving the strength of the hair? Yes. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And I just wonder, from a consumer standpoint, whether you use this product or you use just a good conditioner, are you going to notice a real difference? I would say no. I'm, the amazing thing about Olaplex is their mask and conditioner that you take home with. Uh, when you are using these bond builders on the hair, you often can't feel any difference. So that additional step of conditioning the hair is where you get the, per the perception of, wow, my hair is so conditioned. Yeah. But that's not happening from their miracle molecule. It's it's happening from the polyquaternium 37 and other feel-good things that they have in their formulas. So make a good conditioner and have a nice story and boom, you got a, you got a great yeah, product. <laughs> I, I don't generally like to say negative things about other companies because, you know, it's marketing is marketing and it, it is what it is. And, you know, I, I try to find the good in every product, but the, the one thing I get, I really irate about is when other chemists and people acting as chemists in the beauty space, this one, it just really irritates me when they, they insist, no, Olaplex works, it's in the patent. And it's like, first of all, I, I work in this area and I, I can promise you it's not doing that. Um, it's not doing that. But if your guests are really happy using it, 
and you're happy using it and you're able to generate revenue as a salon stylist recommending these bond builders and you feel your clients are getting results and your clients feel they're getting results, by all means, keep doing it. I believe they're doing something to the hair. They're just not rebuilding disulfide bonds. And I'm going to climb off my soapbox now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people clearly like the products and it's working for them. So the Olaplex company. Yeah, and you know what? They they have some really great products. They've created a whole new section within our industry. I I know innovation is tough because something's always been done at some point in time. It just matters if it if it comes back in trend or not. But I really feel like Olaplex did create a very unique space within the salon professional industry, and that's pretty incredible. That's an, a pretty incredible feat to do. Yeah, good for them. All right, next question. Yeah. This one comes to us from Stephanie. Stephanie says, I've often read that sodium cocoa sulfate is a gentler alternative to sodium lauryl sulfate because it's derived from coconuts. I'm rather skeptical of this claim since sodium lauryl sulfate is also derived from coconuts. Indeed it is. I did some digging, a lot of digging. Uh, There's almost no unbiased information on sodium cocoa sulfate. And I found that the Two Mm. ingredients also have the same CAS number. Uh, I'm no chemist, but I've always understood that the CAS number, if it's the same, it's the same chemical. So why are cosmetic companies lying and trying to mislead us with sodium cocoa sulfate? (laughs) Is it because of the bad rap that SLS has, or am I missing something here about sodium cocoa sulfate? Stephanie, you are one smart cookie. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, the CAS is actually a numbers that chemical abstract system, um, and so they. It's basically like the social security number of a chemical. Exactly, and so it's a good question. How does SLS and cocoa sulfate end up with the same number? Um, well, let's first talk about the differences between the two materials. Uh, it's really one of purifications. Both of these sulfate materials can be made from coconut oil. You are correct there. Coconut oil is actually made up of a wide range of fatty acids, and they can have as few as eight carbon atoms and as many as 18 carbon atoms. Um, the majority, though, of the fatty acids in coconut oil are the 12 carbon variety, which and in coconut oil, about 45 to 50% of the oil is made up of these fatty acids that contain 12 carbons. So when manufacturers make their sulfate detergents, they can take this pure coconut oil and then they run the sulfating reaction to produce sodium cocoa sulfate. Now, sodium lauryl sulfate is really just a purified version of that same material. And in this case, they take the coconut oil, they remove most of the non-12 carbon fatty acids. And so instead of being 45 to 50% um, carbon-12, SLS is more like 80% carbon-12. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, SLS has more of those C12s than sodium cocoa sulfate. But taken together, you know, they're basically the same ingredient. Now, ultimately, both products are primarily those C12s, uh, so sodium lauryl sulfate and sodium cocoa sulfate, they get the same CAS number. However, pure SLS ends up being more efficient and it's more reliable in quality, and so that's why most manufacturers have traditionally used SLS. Sodium cocoa sulfate also doesn't foam quite as well, and... 
it sometimes will vary in uh, color, odor, and all of this will depend on the uh, the quality of the coconut crops that are harvested in that year. I should say that SLS, while it can come from coconut oil, it can also come from petroleum. So when you take it from petroleum, you can uh, you don't have as many of those side reactions. Yeah, the thing as a chemist about using something that is specifically C12 versus kind of like a mixture of C8, C12, C14, etc., is that you can get more control and stability in your formulation. Like you know what you're going to get when you have these mixed carbon chain surfactants. You can tend to get uh, specification quality issues over time. Maybe your viscosity will drift. Maybe you'll have color shift to use a pure chain of, yep, I know I'm getting C12 for me is the way to go as a chemist, least hassle, least hassle. It's kind of like how Starbucks makes, tries to make the coffee taste the same everywhere. And so they, um, (laughs) yeah, they, oh, they burn it everywhere. So I guess, (laughs) so that way when, if you, well, it's standardized, right? You know what you're going to get. You're not going to get this variation and be like, oh, I wonder what's going to come in. Exactly. It's all standardized. So to your question, why are companies <laughs> lying or trying to mislead? Well, you know, that's basically because consumers have heard the term sodium lauryl sulfate and they've been told that it's bad to use sodium lauryl sulfate. Like SLS was one of the original email scares that went around telling people that it caused cancer. It doesn't cause cancer, but that was what went around. Now, sodium cocoa sulfate, it just sounds more natural or clean well, cocoa is like either coconut or cocoa, Co- right. like chocolate, <laughs> Exactly. Right? And so the natural and clean beauty brands, they just switch out this ingredients and it kind of tricks consumers into thinking that the product is somehow safer. I mean, the Honest Company even got into trouble for claiming their product was sodium lauryl sulfate free because they used sodium cocoa sulfate. In fact, they had to pay $1.55 million to settle a class action lawsuit for this lie because the reality is that if you're using sodium cocoa sulfate, you absolutely have the sodium lauryl sulfate version in there. But the bottom line is that using sodium cocoa sulfate instead of lauryl sulfate is mostly a marketing trick. Now, there is some evidence that the cocoa sulfate is slightly less irritating, but it's unlikely consumers are going to notice this, especially in rinse-off products. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate that that brands stoop to this. I think Honest Company actually had a couple lawsuits regarding that in their laundry detergent. It's it's misleading. It's it's not cool. And you know, I know we sometimes you know get really hard on on marketing departments, you know, because marketing sells, you you need marketing for products. But here, if I worked in R&D at this company, I would be really ashamed of myself. But also, like, I'm the kind of person who, you know, I'm not going to let brands say stuff like this. Like, I would risk losing my job. I know not everyone's in that position. But, you know, if someone came to me and said, hey, make me a sulfate-free laundry detergent, I wouldn't be a, a shyster and put sodium cocoa sulfate in there to like be, you know, a legal eagle and be like, well, it's technically not sodium lauryl sulfate on the label. You know, 
it just doesn't feel good. I don't know how it transpired. I know that Honest Company uses contract manufacturers, or they used to, and certainly in this time they did, but it just doesn't feel good. You know? I just don't know how that claim got through their regulatory department. Like it's, it's. Uh, they probably didn't have a regulatory oh. department. I'm going to be very honest. <laughs> a lot of companies don't. A lot of small brands don't. Maybe they do now, but a lot of companies don't invest in that area. I would think that that fine they yeah. would. <laughs> Well, now they yeah, will for, for sure. sure. And if you are a a brand and you're, you're listening to this show, there's certain things you have to invest in. And I really believe that having someone look at your ingredient labels and what you're claiming your product does is a really good investment to make. Just, just my advice. Absolutely. Looks like we got time for one more, huh? Yeah, this question actually was covered on our Instagram live, but I thought it was such a great topic. We could cover it on the show tonight. It came to us from Sagebrush and she said, hey, some of my friends are saying that men's deodorant works better than women's deodorant. Is there any truth to this? And I th- I think it's worth going over again. What do you Absolutely, think? Absolutely, especially since that uh, Instagram live is lost to the uh, internet ether. <laughs> Oh, gosh. I'll get it right next time. You know, the thing about us brains is we're continually learning. Well, you know what? We're chemists. We're not tech people. (laughs) We'll get it right next time. Well, what we wanted to do and why we wanted to save it was we wanted to save the audio and post it on the podcast so that it could live in perpetuity. But we didn't do that. Anyway. All right. So deodorants. What, What do you think here, Valerie? Well, I think we need to be very clear that there is a difference between deodorant and antiperspirant. So I don't know specifically what your friends are using, but firstly, there's a difference there. Secondly, I think all antiperspirants are kind of created equal. So the difference would be in this case is I think men's antiperspirants or, you know, honestly, even men's deodorants are formulated a little differently, and I can get to that when we get to that point. But why don't you start out telling everyone a little bit more about deodorants and antiperspirants? Right. So let's start with deodorants. Deodorants are the big category, and there are two types of deodorants. There's one type of deodorant, which is just called deodorant, specifically is designed to treat the odor problem. What odor problem? The odor problem under your arms. <laughs> that some people... Oh, you have an odor well, problem? Well, some people have that. Now Now I'm feeling no, self-conscious. No, I, I definitely have it. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not exempt from that. So, deodorants are meant to only treat the odor, but they're not meant to treat the sweating, which is another reason that people use these products. Those products that will also treat the odor and the sweating are called antiperspirant deodorants. So antiperspirants are essentially a subset of deodorants. So all the products are deodorants, but then a certain subsegment of them are antiperspirant deodorants. And antiperspirant deodorants are regulated in the United States as an over-the-counter drug. And for over-the-counter drugs, as you've heard us talk about in the past, they are regulated by the FDA by what's called an FDA monograph. Now, in the monograph, they specifically tell companies what active ingredients they can use and what claims they can make. Also, in addition to what active ingredients they can use, it's how much of those ingredients that they have to use also. That's different from a deodorant, which is just essentially a stick product or a liquid product with a fragrance to cover the... uh, 
the odor. It's considered a, a deodorant is considered a cosmetic in its truest form. It's just meant to beautify, make smell better, etc. Yeah. The thing about antiperspirants is they there's kind of a level playing field. Companies in the United States and Canada, at least, can only use a certain set of ingredients. It's not like one has an advantage over the other in terms of making the body stop producing sweat under the arm where it's applied. So in that sense, antiperspirants are pretty similar. Right. And there's about, uh, you know, eight or nine different uh, active ingredients you can use, but they're all aluminum salts, aluminum zirconium salts and and that kind of thing. And so when you go and look at an antiperspirant and you see the back and it says drug facts, then you know that antiperspirant can use the same technology that every other antiperspirant can use. And so then it becomes the differences between one antiperspirant and another antiperspirant is really the uh, the structure of the uh, the base formula, because some of the formulas can be like a clear stick or they're just a hard stick or a soap stick. Um, Something creamy, a paste, a spray. Exactly. So you can differentiate it there, but the active ingredient is going to be the same in everything, and so they should essentially work the same. In fact, they have to uh, satisfy a certain level of claim to be marketed as a uh, as an over-the-counter drug like that. And so you can expect that all deo- all antiperspirants are going to work the same, whether they're for men or for women. Now they can vary the the level of the active ingredient. It can have a low level to a high level. So there's a range. You don't have to always put in exactly the same. But that gives that's the difference between extra strength and just regular. And you can just look right on the packaging and see what percentage of the active ingredients are in there. But really, between men and women's, there's no difference in the functionality of the active ingredients. Where I think there is a difference, though, tends to be in the format and the fragrance, which I think is the biggest part of it. Men's deodorants can be those creamy white sticks that women's deodorants also are, but I know a lot of the men's deodorants can be those clear type sticks. I think those tend to have more solvents and penetration enhancers in them. And they also tend to, I think, men's deodorant has more fragrance in it. I can't tell you how many times I've walked by a man at work or a man on the street and wow, he's not wearing cologne. That's his deodorant. I smell. Uh, whereas women's <laughs> yeah. deodorant, I think tends to be more soft and gentle, more feminine fragrances. Yeah. That lavender baby powder fragrance. Yeah. And I think men's deodorant is almost like a cologne yeah. and it could be, it's not only olfactively a different category. I think they're formulated at higher levels so that you can really smell the bloom from the underarm. And so I think that is why people perceive men's deodorants to work better than women's deodorants. Yeah, but it it doesn't surprise me that your friends think that men's work better, but as far as the technology goes, the only difference that way is pretty much the fragrance, which one you use and how much of the fragrance you use. I will tell you that Mr. Cosmetic Chemist used to like my deodorant better. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah, I think um, his deodorant was an Old Spice deodorant, and he would uh, get a rash, he would break out, and I think it was the fragrance. You know, the, that same thing happened to me with that Old Spice. It was that uh, that blue blue deodorant in the red packaging. Yeah, yeah I'd get this redness. Yeah, yep. yeah there's a... Somebody at P&G told me what ingredient that was, but I forget which one it was, but I haven't, I yeah. haven't used it since. <laughs> 
Well, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist has some skin sensitivities, uh, and uh, deodorant is one of them. So he, he no longer uses my deodorant. Uh, we found him a new replacement, oh, yeah. so he's happy. Okay. But anyway, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Indeed, indeed. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hey, if you get a chance, can you go over to iTunes and leave us a review? That will help other people find the show and assure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Also, follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, we're at TheBeautyBrains. And we have a Facebook page. We also have a Patreon page. If you want to support the show, Patreon is the best way to do that. This will help keep the show ad-free and is the best way to keep financial bias out of the show. So if you like what we do and you want to see us keep doing it, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe because I know my chances of getting a job at Avon are shot. (laughs) (laughs) Or Olaplex for me. Sorry, guys. Eh. Anyway, thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens!